This presentation is from UX Australia 2020, day one. Uh, our next presenter is, is Vanita. Um, here she comes. Uh, Vanita is going to be talking to us uh, about a topic um, of uh, burnout. And it's one of the issues that is um, easy to miss easy to misrecognize in ourselves um, the consequences can be quite dramatic and traumatic and your colleagues may not be um, willing or able to say something about it something like uh, a little over 3,000 Australian lives are lost to suicide each year um, it is 60 people a week uh, in Australia alone uh, are lost to suicide. Um, as a community who um, makes ourselves vulnerable in the course of our work, we are quite susceptible um, to anxiety, to depression um, and to burnout. Um, so I, I thank you, Vanita, for raising this topic and, and talking about it today. Um, and I'll hand over to you without further ado. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Steve. Um, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. Good to go. Um, so, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Vanita and welcome to the first morning of UX Australia. Um, I actually want to start out with a little exercise. So, I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes and I promise that we're not doing a meditation. Um, if you want to count it as your daily meditation, totally fair. I'm not going to tell your habit tracker otherwise, but I'm just going to ask you to walk through a scenario with me. So as your eyes are closed, imagine the last time that you really felt depleted and drained. You felt completely exhausted, nothing felt inspiring, and everything was either mind-numbingly dull or just way too overwhelming to handle. Every day felt like a really shitty day, and it had been that way for a while. It was honestly just about survival at that point. So gently open your eyes. For some people, this may be what they're feeling right now in this very moment. For others, it may be something that's familiar to them in the recent past. And then for some of us, it might actually be recognizing these signs in either our fellow team members or even our family. So let's really talk about the elephant in the room, burnout. We often talk about burnout as stress, but not all stress is bad. Stress, like everything in life, lives on a spectrum. And there's actually a good form of stress called eustress, which actually enables what we as creatives call flow. It's when we're living on one side of the spectrum, on the distress side, that we're really prone to getting burnout. And burnout just isn't an emotional thing. It has mental, serious mental and physical repercussions. Burnout also has the ability to mimic the signs of depression, 
But keep in mind that the difference here is a situational stress versus an ongoing distress. And if you're feeling this way for an extended amount of time, please talk to your GP or a mental health professional. Burnout is also likely in certain groups of people. I tick all of these boxes, but today I particularly want to focus on creatives and the duty of creative care that I think we all need to start to share. Creatives, in particular UX designers, are more likely to burn out because we're not only internalizing and synthesizing for ourselves, but we're also designing for people outwardly. So as empathetic creatures, we're always thinking about how people may be using the things we're building or the things we're working on. So we end up taking a lot more emotional labor, which ends up causing fat compassion fatigue. If we're surrounded by a group or a culture that has really strong emotions, again, as empathetic individuals, we may actually adopt those emotions, causing a lot of emo emotional contagion that, not might, that may not be healthy. And then where I think we're all a little familiar with hustle culture, um, side projects can be really empowering, but they can also take a lot out of you. There's this constant pressure to always do more with, feeling, with this feeling that you're never feeling enough. And despite working 80 hour weeks, you feel like it's not enough and you, you don't deserve what you've been given, which leads to imposter syndrome. And if you, even if you're not working these 80-hour Elon Musk weeks, um, you may be surrounded in a culture that is. And so there's, we're constantly hurrying around trying to find the next big thing, which causes this hurry worry. So at the end of the day, I think UX is really the glue. It's the thing that connects product managers, developers, business development, leadership, design, um, when design has a seat at the table, it is so, so powerful. And for me, this tug of war literally started across the Pacific Ocean. So I hit rock bottom um, a couple years ago when I was traveling every other month to Sydney. I was in a consulting role and I felt completely nothing when I looked at this. Um, if you talk to me now, uh, I live in Sydney at the moment. Every time I pass the opera house, I literally just stop and stare and I'm amazed at this, this landmark that, you know, means so much. But at the time, I was working ridiculous hours on trains, planes, and automobiles, pun completely intended, um, and just trying to maintain some semblance of normality. And that's where I really started. I was at the bottom of the barrel, and I was trying to figure out what really landed me here. And so as a designer, I looked back at my toolkit. I looked at my design methods. How could I really start to tackle this? And that's when I started with the five whys. Um, if you're not familiar with the five whys, it's basically a discovery research technique to identify the root cause of something. And so you're basically just asking why five consecutive times to really get the at the bottom of a, an emotion or a motivation or something that's actually pretty deep to a person. So for me, it started with why was I feeling this way? I was burnt out. <laughs> Uh, why was I burnt out? Because I was traveling to Sydney every other month and literally just coming home to pay the bills and clean the house. Why was I traveling so much? Because I was in this consulting role and I was the most junior on my team. So I felt like I had to prove myself. So why did I feel like I had to prove myself? Because I just didn't want to squander this opportunity I'd been given. 
And why did I feel like I couldn't squander this opportunity? Because at the end of the day, I'm a first generation immigrant and I've always been taught to take advantage of what was given to me and never take anything for granted. And so from here I realized, okay, there, there's a sense of acceptance of this and that I actually need to figure out what is going on. So from here, I started thinking about what was the last time I used like a cultural probe on myself to figure out what was going on in my life. And so I came up with this exercise called the happiness jar. So for an entire year, every time I had a happy moment, I would literally take one of these small sticky notes, um, write the happy moment on there, date it, and put it into the jar. It wasn't daily, it wasn't weekly, it was honestly when I remembered to do it and I had a happy moment that I could remember. And at the end of the year, I opened this up and took a look at all of these little chits of paper that were in there and realized that I was basically doing a bit of a content analysis. Um, I looked at where was I actually spending my time in terms of what made me happy. I was looking at what I had prioritized that year. And while it had originally started as an extremely qualitative exercise, literally just writing that moment on a sticky note and sticking it in a jar, it was really interesting to see it be quantifiable with all the sticky notes together and see what I was spending my time doing. So from here, I realized I had three basic design directions. One was that I could die from kuroshi, which is the Japanese word for dying from overwork. Um, I could try and take a vacation, knowing that it wouldn't really help. Um, studies show that a large part of burnout is that you're never actually getting close to a feeling of stability and never a feeling of catharsis either. So taking short vacations don't actually help that much. Or as a designer, dealing with ambiguity, I could lean on into that discomfort and figure out what was going on. And so from here, I realized that there were these five basic themes that I wanted to focus on. Today, I won't be able to share methods um, for all of these themes, but I do have them documented in the index, if, uh, in the appendix, if anyone is interested. And so the ones that I want to focus on are mindfulness, connection and meaning, and acceptance. Mindfulness. Um, this is a pretty overused word at the moment. I think um, it is... It has a lot encapsulated in it. But, you know, I, I took a moment and I did a little bit of research. And did you know that you actually make the most number of decisions when you exhale? Clavicular breathing, which is the kind of shallow breathing you have when you're really stressed out, only fills up a third of your lungs and it actually leads to worse decision making. So while we may all talk about meditating and being Zen, there's actually scientific proof that shows that it could actually help us. And so if we can actually control our breathing a little bit more, we're actually likely to make better voluntary decisions. Connection and meaning is another one that I really struggle with. Um, so when I'm burnt out, I am a little ball of cynicism, quite literally. Um, I think anything everyone says to me that's positive is crap. I just don't believe them. Um, and that's because I'm not in the right headspace at that moment. And so I started what I call a burnout folder, which is I store all the nice things people have said to me, usually before I'm burnt out. And so whenever I start reaching, I know that I'm getting close to that moment of feeling burning out and just knowing that this is it. I open up this folder and actually read through all of the things that are in there. Because in so many ways, it's about realizing what impact you have, that you're appreciated, that your effort is actually being rewarded. 
And so I can actually start to see a little bit of the good in me and come out of my little ball of cynicism. Another theme um, that I tried to tackle was acceptance. And acceptance is a really hard one. I really, really struggle with letting go of expectations that I have of myself. Um, to a lot of friends, I say that I have a really low guilt threshold, which basically means that you can make me feel guilty about anything and everything. I left a tissue outside. Oh, no, I feel guilty about that. And I will think about it. Another is um, what I call professional PTSD. So I've realized as I've moved from one role to another, sometimes I've carried along undesirable and unhealthy behaviors with me. And that's pretty difficult to let go of when that's really internalized. And so these are pretty lofty goals, right, to try to tackle. You're just like, how, where do I even start? And so again, I went back to a really, really basic tool, which was just a sticky note. Um, this is something that I have up um, in my bedroom at the moment. It's on my mirror, and it's a really simple positive affirmation, but it's really explicit to me. I have this tendency to compare myself to others quite a bit, and so I have to stare at this every morning, literally facing myself in the mirror to try to internalize this a lot more. And so here's where I've also realized that we need to all channel a little bit of Oprah love which is that you can have it all, but you just can't have it all at once. And so I also wanna take a second here and talk about the second elephant in the room. Um, he was in the corner, he was socially distant. So he's gonna come out now, he has a mask on, so don't worry. But that in this current world, we're all feeling a bit burnt out because of the pandemic. Um, we're all so close to burnout already that this has just pushed us right over the edge. But the thing I really want to ask here is, why are we always flying so close to the sun? Where Are we in an industry that demands it, or are these the demands that we've placed on ourselves? And I love this quote by Anne Helen Peterson, um, because as designers, we love uh, white space. We love open spaces. But here is a really amazing situation where we simply have too much of it, and we have to figure out how are we going to navigate this. And if we take a step back and think about what's actually led to pandemic burnout, there's a lot there. As empathetic creatures, we're constantly trying to read body language um, over Zoom or Skype or Teams, and that's causing a lot of fatigue. There's not a lot of shifts in mood or mode or activity or attitude. There's not a lot of variety there. And the expectations that we have of ourselves are already high, and if not higher, because we think we're going to be more productive at home. I also think we really are still grieving our past lives. Um, just the other day, I was thinking about the last time I hugged someone and the next time I would get to. And it was, it was really saddening. But that is also part of that acceptance. But I think there are things we can do here. Part of it is giving ourselves the permission to do the things that we want to do. I think we need to change our understandings of what's possible and what we expect from others, as well as how the rhythms of our lives need to change. And I'm a really big proponent of see the things and say the things. So saying the things means talking about your emotions, means actually giving them words, because that's what's going to help you figure out how to address them and how to move forward. And of course, talking about burnout there, it naturally rolls into a conversation about resilience. Resilience, much like design, is a process. It's not a capability. It's not a one and done capability. 
And resilience means bouncing back, but also bouncing forward. And our resilience shouldn't be quantified by the number of times we've been burnt out and our ability to come back from it. It should be avoiding burnout in the first place. And the more times you get burnt out, the more you push the boundaries of your burnout. But it takes so much longer to get out of that space. And so we often talk about burnout from this pathogenic perspective, is that we get sick and then we'll get better. But what if we thought about it from a salutogenic perspective, where we focus on the factors that actually support human health and well-being, rather than on the, the factors that cause disease? So you're probably looking at me at this point, um, being like, cool beans, don't care, awesome, heard, probably heard all this before. Okay, cool. But I, I want to focus in on three particular things here. One is that the pandemic is this amazing inflection point. And I'm going to channel a little bit of Matt Damon here from the movie Mars when he says, let's science the shit out of this. So I want to ask, can we really design the shit out of this? Can, do we have the ability, do we have the tools to be able to? The second is that you're designing for yourself and your own personal barometers. Um, some of the methods I shared, they work particular to me, to my personality, um, some of those boxes I had ticked. So it depends on you and how you want to approach it. Um, everyone's methods will have different flavors. And the third is to iterate. So I actually started this journey with a fellow designer. We were both burnt out and we were trying to figure out how do we crawl out of this barrel. And year after year, month after month, we kept coming back to what was working, what was not working and realizing that it was a process and that we needed to keep this, we need to keep iterating to make this better. And so I've shared a couple of design methods with you today. The appendix has a lot more if you're interested. Um, but this is hopefully the start of your journey to really using your own design superpowers to design your own life. Thank you. Thanks, Vanita. We have uh, a question has been sent through from Kevin, which I'll read out. He sure. says, uh, just wondering if you believe more people are not taking sick days off because they work through because they are at home. I definitely believe they are um, not taking enough sick days. Um, I was actually personally looking at my sick days the other day and realizing that every time I have been sick, I've just worked through it. But if you think about if you were coming into the office, you would have naturally taken that day off. And it's hard to have that separation of space, especially at home, um, to say, like, I'm not going to go in if you have a if you have a dedicated room or if it's, you know, somewhere that is in the common space to not touch that and actually take the time to recover, which I think is actually more important now um, because it because everything is just an open space at the moment. Uh, Anna has sent, sent through a question. Burnout often seems to be worn as a badge of honor, much like being busy. Do you have any suggestions as to how we can change the conversation from being busy as an achievement? Definitely. Um, I had a conversation actually um, late last week where we talked through it becomes it becomes a badge of honor and you all kind of grow through burnout together because it, it becomes a solidarity thing. Um, and I think it's that it's seeing things and saying things. It's starting that conversation and saying, hey, this is not okay. Um, this is something that we want to make better and that as an industry, if we can adopt these practices and actually figure out how can we can make this healthier is, is part of it. Um, I think it's a lot about voicing it and 
I have been in a room where I've said I'm burnt out and everyone gave me a, a very, uh, it was it's a look of pity, which is not a great position to be in. But at the same time, I knew that it started a lot of other ripples and other conversations. So sometimes I think it is also about being brave and just saying, this is what it is and sitting in that discomfort. I know with uh, that, that comment around being busy, we, we often forget that our, our busyness is a choice <laughs> and we, um, we're, we're, we're often uh, choosing to fill up our spaces with work instead of choosing to fill them up with other things. Um, and I think part of our conversation needs to be to uh, highlight those non-work uses of our time um, and to encourage other people to have non-work uses of their time, <laughs> unless that's like that's what they want to be doing. So, and we, we also tend to think of being busy as work, um, and it, it doesn't doesn't have to be. It doesn't need to be. Uh, Brian Brian sent you a question. If you feel that your workplace lacks the space to say the things, <laughs> how would you go about changing that within your work culture and within your teams? I think um, that is a tough one. And I, again, it's also a process. I think a lot of it is around sharing different methods of working that maybe is external to your team even to show like, hey, I, I saw this. I just want to share it. And it it's inspiration and hopefully it's um it's a little bit of inception right it's how do you start getting people to start thinking about those things slowly um and it's not always a linear upward process but if for me at least with my team it's been um sharing inspiration i actually found this amazing article the other day which talked about when we block time out of other people's calendars what if you had a notification that said you're actually taking away you know, an hour of her personal time by blocking out this one hour time block. Could you actually make it shorter? So things like that. And I had shared that with my team and they were like, wow, I didn't, never thought of it that way. So it, it is a process, but I think part of it is um, inspiration. And I think also part of it is finding allies and kind of champions of that and making sure that that spreads um, through, through maybe individual people, but, um, then causes a larger cultural change. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll read out another question. This one's been sent through anonymously. How do you believe we can recognise the difference between burnout versus the wrong professional choice or a bad workplace fit? Um, I've definitely struggled with this quite a bit. Um, I know... so. One thing that I didn't mention in the talk that I was thinking about quite a bit is that um, I think when a lot of people are burnt out, they just leave those jobs. And that's not always an option for everyone, right? Um, so how do you actually change the way that you're working and still continue in that job and or remove yourself from that environment? So I think it, it's it's kind of twofold. Um, in a previous job where I really struggled, I at first figured out what were the methods that I could use. And when I kind of reached that point, I also sought out professional help. Um, whether that could be a career coach, that could be a mental health professional, um, to understand are you doing everything you can in that environment? And then I think at the end of the day, sometimes it is about moving, removing yourself from that environment entirely to figure out if 
you know, that's, that is actually the cause of it. Um, it is difficult. I think it, again, it's a lot of conversations um, because a lot of people maybe aren't addressing it or aren't saying those words outwardly uh, to, to maybe identify a toxic culture. It, it's, it's one of those things that we see uh, perpetuated in areas like the medical profession, um, where you get a lot of interns, a lot of medical students burning out um, from their career and, and as you say, like removing themselves from the profession um, because they can't cut it. And, and the reality is that we lose every year hundreds if not thousands of very dedicated, very capable, very talented health professionals mm -hmm. who are being forced to work in an environment that's not conducive to getting the best from them and allowing them to contribute their best. And so we lose them and we don't try and fix the system because the people best able to, to your last point, um, survived and see it as, you know, we have that sort of survivor bias and we think that, well, we've, we've weaned out the weak ones, we've weaned out the poor performers and the reality is that we, that's just not what we're doing. And I, I think it's also important. So I, I studied medicine in uni. Um, and similarly, I, I just realized that um, I have to design my own conditions and design to the limitations of my body. Um, and I, I finished most of the uni medicine course and realized that this, it wasn't something that I could sustain, um, even though it was something I was really passionate about. But it, it wasn't a lifestyle that I was willing to um, invest myself in yeah which is a shame it, it is and i think i've had a most of my uni friends are doctors <laughs> and uh so we've had that conversation over and over is how do we start changing that um a lot of attendings have been around for a long time how do you start that cultural change to to get them talking about those things that's great that's all we have time for Vanita. thank you so Wonderful. much thank you